Welcome to Black Doctors Speak, where each week we bring you the kind of expert healthcare information you need to keep you and your family safe and healthy. Now our host, renowned medical practitioner and former president of the National Medical Association, Dr. Michael Lenore. Welcome to today's podcast for Black Doctors Speak. Today, Dr. Michael Lenore, we're wishing Mr. Alistair, who is on vacation and probably by now is wrapped around a margarita in Barbados. And so uh, maybe we'd all uh, like to be there, but I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're here because we're going to talk about a very special organization and a very special project and a very special disease. We're going to talk to Black Women's Health Imperative. We're going to talk about sickle cell anemia. Uh, and we have a number of special guests, which I'll introduce as we move forward. But before that, we always have to mention a little something about what's happening in the news. Uh, certainly the biggest thing now is we're talking about the variants. But before that we do that, I have a message for me from a special friend of the Wellness Watch, Dr. Delroy Lindo. I understand the hesitancy and the resistance that some folk may have for taking the COVID-19 vaccine. And you absolutely have a right to feel hesitant. The COVID is real. And I know from firsthand experience, I had it. I wouldn't wish COVID on anyone. I fully recovered but I don't want to ever be that sick again. You and all the people that you love are at risk from COVID-19 infection. So please get vaccinated for yourselves, your family, and your community. Thank you. Well, that's a very powerful message. And you can feel the emotion in his voice as he talks about having had that. And he's a friend of mine and he lives not too far. And I can tell the uh, suffering that he went through. So those of you who say, well, it's not, a, it's not gonna be a bad thing if I have it, uh, then uh, I think you're wrong. There are a couple of other issues that come up. You know, uh, we had at least an opportunity to talk to older people about getting the COVID vaccination and to try and encourage them to do so. But what we found out is the older people are getting vaccinated. Uh, then in the pediatric practice that I have, about 12 out of the 13 young parents with children who are either 12 or older or 12, obviously 12 or younger, are not getting vaccinated. So it's our young people are not getting vaccinated. Well, why is that important? Because the myth is that, you know, young people don't have a bad disease. But what we're seeing now is the variance. A variant is an imperfect make of the virus. And when it makes it imperfectly, it probably has some advantages that other viruses, part of the other makes of the viruses don't have. Now we're dealing with the Delta virus. It was called the Indian virus, but I think it wasn't politically correct. So they named it the Delta virus. It seems to be twice as infectious. It ends up, people who get it end up twice as off in the hospital. So those of you who are vaccinated, not vaccinated, you're going to have some problems if in fact this becomes the dominant virus in the United States, and it is not the last variant. We're gonna have some more lethal variants and we're going to have some problems with those. The other piece of that is that there's gonna be some social consequences of not being vaccinated. If you don't believe a lot of these places are gonna demand that you be vaccinated before they let you in a concert, before they let you in a ball game, before they let you uh, in a classroom, uh, you're wrong or on a plane. Right now, you know, they're, they're saying, oh, it was freedom, uh, it was a free country, but I, I can almost tell you, we're seeing it in California 
I think you're going to be seeing it in your neighborhood very soon. So if you're not vaccinated, uh, it's just like it is in California with young with vaccines for young children. Um, that if you're not vaccinated, you really can't do anything. And so consequently, I think that uh, you need to start always listening. We're not telling you what to do. We would never do that. You have the right to make your own decisions. But keep up with what the information we give you through the African American Wellness Project and keep up with the information from the CDC. We're not lecturing. We're not talking. Uh, it is important that only 40% of African Americans have received any vaccine, yet they still lead the list in percentage of people who are dying. So consequently, we have some decisions to make. But in any event, uh, one more piece is that people, one out of every five persons who gets the infection has what we call the long hauler syndrome. That means something is wrong, either a carditis, a neuritis, a meningitis, or something is going on so that they have symptoms for many, many weeks after the vaccine. So with that, we'll just kind of move into our discussion today. We have three very distinguished guests. Mr. John Burns, um, who is an, a lawyer and represents Black Women's Health Imperative. Uh, we have Doris Brown, who was Dr. Doris Brown, who I think was the 116th president of the National Medical Association, who's a hematologist, oncologist, and we have Mr. Ty Montgomery, all of whom in one way or another are associated with sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell anemia, as I always said, is our disease. It's a disease that African-Americans should know the most about. Yet, unfortunately, I think, because of the dynamics that we've seen, that many young people really don't, that much, don't know that much about sickle cell anemia. Even in California, and I'm sure other states where you have screening for sickle cell trait or sickle cell hemoglobin, only 11 to 15% of the African-Americans who are identified will have the trait go for any kind of counseling. So we have a big job to do in the second cell arena, but fortunately, we've got some warriors here with us today, and we want to talk about the disease, so we want to welcome you to our program. Our first guest is Mr. John Burns. He's an attorney, a Georgetown attorney. I think from talking to Dr. Doris Brown, that's special. He's a TV personality, a presenter, a community activist, over 20 years of experience in cultural marketing and communications, but more importantly, he's here to represent uh, the Black Women's Health Imperative. So, uh, Mr. Burns, welcome to our program. Dr. Delore, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about the Black Women's Health Imperative and what they're doing to engage patients and the medical profession, caregivers and advocates around sickle cell anemia, since that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. And no, thank you again. And the Black Women's Health Imperative is an incredible organization, really focused on engaging, empowering, supporting uh, Black women and girls across their lifespan. And so it's a nonprofit that does a, a lot of advocacy work, outreach work, education, engagement work um, specific to that community, but also really um, going outside just to specifically the Black women and girls community and also actually entering into the Black male community too to provide empowering programs as well. But specific to your question, Dr. Lenore, around uh, sickle cell anemia and sickle cell disease and sickle cell trait, a number of different things that Black Women's Health Imperative really focused on and launched a campaign earlier this year around uh, sickle cell called Sickle Cell Unity, which was really built to inspire, empower, but also educate individuals across communities around sickle cell disease. And I think what you really mentioned in your opening, Dr. Lenore, was it is our disease. And our, it's the importance of us advocating, us really being uh, vocal about the importance of 
uh, addressing some of the inequities associated with sickle cell. So with this campaign, was really focused on building awareness around the work of Black Women's Health Imperative, but also creating that level of education as well. And so that campaign's been rolling out across social media, across various channels, again, with the main goal to educate, to engage, but also to empower and really advocate for change. Mr. Burns, are you sometimes surprised by the lack of information that young people have about sickle cell anemia? I think Dr. Brown and I go back to a time when sickle cell anemia was on the lips of every African-American as part of the struggle uh, to free ourselves against some of the discriminatory practices that we saw in the South. What is the level of knowledge of young African-Americans about sickle cell anemia, and how are you addressing that? Dr. Lenore, that's an incredible question. I think it's a very timely question. I think to your to your point, I, I think there's definitely been a decline in, in knowledge um, over the last decades in terms of young African-Americans, middle-aged African-Americans really understanding the importance of, of sickle cell and knowing that it obviously affects our community at greater rates. And so to answer your question directly, I don't think the level of knowledge is where it needs to be. Um, and that's why Black Women's Health Imperative is so vocal and so intentional about their actions and about their outreach to really change that narrative, to ensure people are knowledgeable, to ensure people are educated and empowered around sickle cell. Yes, some of the dynamics uh, around sickle cell anemia, I think, have developed over the last several years. There have been tremendous strides uh, in the ability to treat children with sickle cell anemia. But the adult with sickle cell anemia still suffers some from some of the social determinants and some of the, some of the bias, some of the stigma of being a sickle cell, uh, sickle, sickle cell disease uh, a patient. Uh, we're going to keep you here and talk about that uh, with, between you and Dr. Brown in just a minute, but I want to digress a minute and talk to Dr. Brown for those people who, and there may unfortunately many, who don't understand the disease or know what we're talking about. So uh, Dr. Brown, can we, uh, can we ask you to just uh, simplify the issue for us. But first, let me introduce you. Uh, Dr. Brown is one of our most distinguished doctors in our country. Uh, she has served in the military, rising to high rank. She has served, she's a hematologist, oncologist, and she served as president of the National Medical Association. Uh, and so we want to welcome you, Dr. Brown, to our discussion. Uh, tell us, uh, can, uh, very simply for the audience, uh, what is sickle cell anemia and how does it differ sickle cell trait. Thank you, Dr. Lenore, for having me on the program. Um, yes, having known you for quite a long period of time, what you're saying is very true, that we seem to have gotten away from talking about sickle cell, sickle cell disease, that is the anemia and the trait. But let me sort of break it down to you. Sickle cell disease is a genetic disorder it's caused by a mutation in one of the proteins called the hemoglobin protein that carries oxygen in our blood cells, particularly the red blood cells. And it is inherited from your parents. It's not something you get in the air. Uh, both parents have to have this abnormal trait and when they get married and have children, those children have the chance of at least 50% of them of having the disease and one-fourth of them of having the trait. There's a difference between the disease and the trait. And the trait means you only inherit 
one of those abnormal genes from one parent of the other. And it's called the S gene in some cases, the S hemoglobin protein that is there. If you have both of those SS, then you have the uh, anemia, and that is really the sickle cell disease. Many times, um, children that are born with sickle cell disease or sickle cell anemia um, in the past, they did not live a long life to get to the age that they are today. We are keeping uh, with our technology and advances, we're keeping people alive until they get to the age of 40, a little bit beyond with technologies. But we know our provider population don't really understand how to take care of those adults with sickle cell anemia because they consider it a pediatric disease. Um, if when you have sickle cell trait, again, you usually have a normal life without any complications from the disease. And I like to just talk a little bit about the disease is very debilitating. It causes a lot of pain. You're subject to end up with strokes at a young age. Um, because the blood, when you have this um, abnormal protein, it tends to deform the red cells because it cannot carry the oxygen and it takes on what is called a sickle looking uh, cell. And that sickle red blood cell um, is a little bit thicker. It becomes very uh, sluggish in moving through the area. So, of course, you have blood clots. And as I indicated, uh, you have a greater risk of having a stroke. Uh, and, of course, it also impacts the lungs where we have problems with breathing and sort of that vaso-occlusive conditions that we call it. Now, if you have the trait, you may have no symptoms at all. But what we found is... When you only have the trait, you may, with certain exertional um, conditions, high altitudes, doing a lot of exercises that's very strenuous, and when the temperature is very hot, like it is in California, you may cause some of those people with sickle cell trait to uh, have some symptoms. And this is something, because I've been in the military, that I remember many years ago, um, that was one of the things that we thought Blacks in the military would have a problem because they could not withstand the exertional training that would go through. And particularly the Air Force did not want to like let our Black men become pilots because if they had the trait, they uh, could not go on and perform. Um, but we've moved beyond that. We have... Um, all the 50 states in the United States have testing of every baby that is born in this country um, to find out if they have this abnormal protein. There are other conditions that's also tested uh, in babies that are there. And while African-Americans have the trait, it is not limited to just African-American populations, Hispanics, uh, Brazilians, and other people from the Mediterranean area can also have sickle cell disease or sickle cell trait. All right, I'd like to then bring in Mr. Ty Montgomery. He's a running back uh, from New Orleans Saints. Uh, he played in the NFL, um, and he uh, went to college at Stanford, drafted third, but made the, the first team. I uh, switched from uh, wide receiver to running back. He learned that he had sickle cell trait 
when he was at Stanford. And he's been an advocate sickle cell champion since that time. I have a, a number of questions for, Ms., uh, for Mr. Montgomery because his experience, I think, mimics uh, some of the experiences that other people, not only with this disease, but with the trait, uh, have to deal with. So what are some of the challenges that you face, Mr. Montgomery, uh, while having a sickle cell trait? Yeah, um, with, uh, with Dr. What Dr. Doris mentioned before, high altitudes for sure. Playing in Denver, um, I can remember a game in against Utah, um, in Utah, um, while I was at Stanford. They had the oxygen take on the sidelines specifically for me and um, the trainers and strength and conditioning staff. They had a game plan for me that every time I wasn't on the field, I was to be taking in oxygen every opportunity I got. Um, I got IVs before the game, at halftime, and after the game. Um, and so it, it, it really does bug me at altitudes the most, um, but also just extreme physical exertion. Being a professional athlete, I push my body to the limits. And specifically one year, um, my rookie year, uh, the Sunday, Thursday stretch every year, every NFL team plays a game on Sunday and then that subsequent Thursday. And that after that Thursday night game, um, I ended up getting rhabdo. Uh, my muscle tissue started breaking down, and my body actually started passing um, my, uh, my broken down muscle tissue. And I, I just learned that I would fatigue faster um, and at a, at a higher rate than the majority of my teammates who don't have sickle cell trait. Uh, given the incidence of sickle cell trait in the African American community, did you ever run into other uh, football players? who did not know they had the trait, but played throughout their careers without that knowledge? Um, I'm sure it's happened. Um, a lot of guys don't know. Um, I can remember a specific teammate when I was in New York with the Jets. Um, he didn't find out until he got into the league. Um, he was experiencing severe muscle cramps, and then that's when he found out that he had sickle cell trait. And so there, there's probably a number of guys who just haven't been tested and legitimately don't know and they're unaware as to why they can't perform at a peak level and what they need to do in order to be able to do so. Tell us what it was like when you first found out that you had the trait. Uh, uh, did you notice an immediate change in your uh, confidence, your ability uh, to do the job? What, uh, what what was going through your mind? Uh, I was scared, to be honest. Uh, I was a freshman in college, and I'm thankful that I went to an institution like Stanford where they uh, they tested um, everybody. Um, I know they tested every black athlete for sickle cell trait. Um, they were very knowledgeable and aware, and they educated anybody that had trait. They put your name on the board, and you were told you had trait, and you had to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the trainers. And when I saw my name on the board and I had to go meet with the trainers, I was pretty much scared. I didn't know if my career was going to be over. Um, I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it to the league. I didn't know how much it was going to affect me. Um, but Stanford did an amazing job of educating me and basically teaching me how I can still play football at the level that I want to play it while having civil social trait. I'd like to bring uh, Mr. Burns back in to the conversation. Uh, in your, in your uh, 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 travel through the uh, new program that you have, do you find that it's often a surprise for families uh, and individuals to find out they had the trait? What is their usual response? I think uh, I think you know, that's a great question, Dr. Lenore. I think oftentimes it's a, a level of fear and a level of level of uncertainty. And I think to Ty's point, I think he said it so brilliantly. 
you are unsure, uncertain on your capabilities based upon um, that kind of new diagnosis. And so I think it's that fear of the unknown, unknown that fear of um, some of the stigma associated with, uh, with sickle cell that we've all already kind of talked about and we'll probably go into in depth more. Um, so it's a number of different things. And I think oftentimes people don't know and they find out at later times in their life, as, as Ty just mentioned as well. So it kind of runs the gamut. Yeah, when you when you talk about the stigma, we keep talking about that. Uh, doc, Dr. Brown, uh, tell us a little bit about what an adult with sickle cell anemia faces in terms of trying to get services, especially around pain. Uh, and has that improved as we've understood more about the disease or is it getting worse? I would say that there's still a lack of knowledge with our healthcare providers in really understanding this. And what I see is that people that have sickle cell or disease or trait may not have a primary care provider. So they, the painful crisis that happens when the blood starts to get thicker and sickle, um, this pain drives them to the emergency room because it's not uh, controlled by the usual over-the-counter medications. And when they get to the emergency room, of course, you know, being a Black person, they are looked at as drug-seeking. And so they are not, uh, the providers don't understand that they, this is a disease that they have had for a long time and they are frequently coming to the emergency room. And so I think we need to increase our training for our healthcare providers, whether it is in, in medical schools and in um, nursing schools and, and other provider uh, programs, that this is not drug-seeking behavior. This is something that needs to be treated because it can lead to not only the strokes, but going on to lead on to death. And I do want to point out that the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine um, in 2020 published a, a report. It's called a, a strategy, a, a blueprint for action of how to now get back to taking care of people with uh, sickle cell disease. And so that's really important. And HHS also has uh, created an interagency task force to really start to put some money into this because uh, my theory is we put a lot of money into research for cystic fibrosis that perhaps affects a population that's less than the population that has sickle cell. And so yet we have not been doing the research. So we need to get to that point where we are researching it and educating our providers in this area. All right, you're watching the Wellness Watch. Our special guest today are Dr. Doris Brown, um, John Burris, Esquire, and Ty Montgomery, who is a running back for the New Orleans Saints uh, who has sickle cell trait. We're trying to get up to speed on sickle cell, try to understand some of the uh, social dynamics a little bit more in the uh, latter part of our conversation. I'd like to get all three of your, uh, your responses. It's something that I always ask uh, people who come on our program. You know, there's sickle cell anemia uh, and, and there's racism. I mean, how much do you think racism impacts not just sickle cell anemia, but health issues in general? And what has been your experience with sickle cell that points to the fact that racism underlies a lot of the problems, especially adults have? Let's start with you, Mr. Montgomery. Um, 
I think Dr. Dorsey hit it on the head as far as you could be drug seeking. Um, and speaking separately from sickle cell, I had an experience um, dealing with a mental health where it was just assumed that I had something and I was to be medicated and there was, I was just completely dismissed as if I was just another black person, give you this medication, you're this, and I'm going to send you about your way. And I know that when it comes to, um, to sickle cell, a lot of people just assume I'm, I'm incapable of doing a lot of things. And so they don't understand the difference between disease and the trait. Correct. They lump you in that category. I often say to people, Mr. Burns and Dr. Brown, I often say that if I'm sick in a strange city and I start having chest pain, I'm going to try to get on a suit and a tie and get me a briefcase before I go to the emergency room. Because it's pretty clear that if I go down there in my pajamas and whatever I've got on, my level of care will go down. I'm going to make sure they know I'm a doctor. We'll make sure somebody's, they know somebody's on the phone because you don't get the same, you're not looked at the same. And that's happening throughout our whole healthcare system. One of the things we do at the African American Wellness Project is to teach people how to take advantage of certain components when they try to seek emergency care. And I'm sure that they've lumped you, uh, Mr. Montgomery, many times. Uh, Mr. Burris, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think the impact of racism is on the health of black people? You know, that's kind of a... That's kind of a serious question. But you went to Georgetown. <laughs> I, I did. No, Dr. Lenore, I think it's tremendous. I think racism uh, obviously plays a significant part in the care that people's uh, communities of color experience. And so um, whether it be a, around a rare disease, uh, unique uh, like sickle cell or even just general health, uh, I think it's something that we as people of color experience and it's people, and it's your point, you have to put on the suit and carry your briefcase just to make sure that you're receiving quality care because you have to kind of come in this type of persona to make sure people um, understand who you are and, and what you might need. So I think it's an issue that Black Women's Health Imperative is really focused on addressing. I think a number of programs across the organization really speak to that. And it's really built around educating, engaging, but also advocacy um, around these issues and around the inequities and how systemic racism really plays a role in really continuing those inequities. Dr. Brown, you know, one of the questions that we have uh, is that you know, sickle cell is so deadly. Why has it been around so long? And I, I think there's a secret that most people don't understand. And having a sickle cell might have some advantages under some circumstances. Am I right about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the disease was founded several thousand years ago, but it was in the Saharan uh, part of Africa. And it is believed that those people that had sickle cell, it had a protection from malaria. So it kept those individuals alive. Uh, of course, we've gone these many years and now we have migration and uh, bringing to different countries where the, the uh, environment is different. We don't have as much exposure to uh, malaria here. Um, so again, it now has become a detrimental disease. But again, we are finding, as I've indicated, keeping people alive longer with the disease. But of course, they must get the proper care they must know uh, how to protect themselves with increasing their hydration and, and limiting their exercise. And of course, having a primary care person that's going to provide them with the care that's necessary, whether that is a primary care person or a specialist that's going to make sure that they get quality care 
when they are in crisis, which is the primary part that leads to um, death uh, for these individuals. Now, while we have you on this flow, a couple of questions. Uh, why the sickle cell misgenerations? Um, it has not misgenerations. I think because we have the screening when you are an infant, all babies that are born get the, the test, the screening test. But somehow our children get lost in the system because of the racism that's there. You don't have any primary person to follow you. So you get lost. And of course, you end up becoming a young adult. Uh, you don't have a primary care person. You don't even know that you have a sickle cell trait. And then you go and marry a person that has a even you procreate with an individual that also has the trait, they don't know they have the trait, and then you have an individual with the disease. And so again, it's it's that lack of education, not so much um, some people are given a choice. If you find out your child, and you can do in utero um, screening to find out if the child is going to have sickle cell disease or trait, um, if you find out that you're positive. But many of us will not have the advantage of doing that because it's not offered to us because our melanin will keep us away from getting that um, test. Uh, there's a question about natural remedies I'd like to address to Mr. Montgomery. Obviously, when you told people you had the trait, now, you know, I, it would be unheard of, both of us being from Dallas, that our relatives didn't have some kind of natural uh, remedies uh, for the treatment of sickle cell. Were you ever offered any of those? Uh, and then we'll ask Dr. Brown if they actually exist. Um, I was never offered anything. Um, but I will say that what I learned while I was at Stanford, thanks to the amazing strength and conditioning staff and the trainers, is I learned how to eat hydration and not just drink hydration. And um, I also I started doing some uh, oxygen therapy. I have a hyperbaric chamber um, here at home. Um, and that just increases my, uh, my oxygen saturation levels. I think that's the right way to say it. So I just, I had to learn how to eat and I learned, I had to learn how to drink properly and also have to give myself sleep. So I have to go the extra mile in terms of making sure my body is recovered and is performing at a, at the right level, just to, just be sure, because I am aware that I have trait. Yeah. You, you come from a different area in Dallas. Cause see my grandmother, when they had the treatment. <laughs> you, you went to Stanford and obviously you know you could, you could get all the hyperbaric stuff. But my grandmother would have told me what to do for sickle cell trait. That's just the way it worked. Am I wrong, Dr. Brown? <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure that, that our ancestors and, and uh, others in the diaspora have something on the continent, whether it is the, the, the bitter leaf or, or some other product that is grown in Africa. But again, what we know now is that it is the proper hydration is important, um, oxygenation, and of course, eating well. And, and one piece that we don't talk about enough is sleep. We need to make sure that we're getting the proper sleep and that's just good for all of us. Um, and of course, now we're looking at uh, some genetic, uh, um, and I, I don't want to really sort of 
proponent of this, but we have research where we're going with some of the CRISPR, where you can alter that gene so that uh, you don't have the sickle cell. That's something in the future, perhaps. Okay. I've got a bunch of rapid-fire questions for Mr. Burns. Uh, one of the, how can we address the gaps in the education of doctors and nurses who are, are treating patients with sickle cell? I think the, the education piece, uh, so the gaps are a result of, of education and then also really understanding some of the cultural nuances and the systemic uh, racist racism pieces that we um, all have kind of spoken about that kind of go into this um, understanding and the way patients of color are treated. So I think it's education and then ultra, ultimately really focusing on the cultural piece too to make sure we're really addressing some of these inequities. Does, does the patient with sickle cell anemia or a patient with sickle cell trait have legal recourse with employers or with even healthcare providers uh, if they are treated differently? I think some of these health kind of inequities and disparities with respect to like the legal system, I think the laws are still evolving. I think there's definitely some recourse and I would definitely uh, really, you know, encourage anyone who's experiencing disparate treatment with respect to their health to really seek recourse. Um, um, so I think the, the laws and the legal system are still trying to evolve to catch up with some of these, um, some of the needs that are associated with some of these inequities, but definitely if you're experiencing that, um, be your own advocate uh, and really uh, seek a, you know, counsel to help you deal with these problems. You know, three out of four um, in, uh, uh, patients with sickle cell seem to benefit from hydroxyurea, but black patients don't get it. Uh, why is that? I think it's because, Dr. Lenore, everything we've just talked about, I think if you're not your own advocate, if you're not knowledgeable, if you're not speaking up, if you're not very um, astute about your, uh, about your illness and about your chronic illness, no one else is going to be your advocate for you. And I think because of the way the systems have been set up for so long, um, we continue to face some of these same challenges that we face for so long. Dr. Brown, why do so few African-Americans get in clinical trials for some of these new treatments? Sickle cell anemia. Well, again, the primary reason people don't get into clinical trials, or patients anyway, is that providers do not tell them about the studies that are there. Uh, and there's a whole complicated process, but we have been working to address that in the National Medical Association. Uh, and that is, it, it's a whole complex of people think and want to uh, put this to, oh, what happened with Tuskegee is the reason why there's a whole generation of people that don't even know about Tuskegee, don't even understand the nuance of, of what happened with Tuskegee. But it is because we have not been educated properly that you can get very excellent care uh, if you're in a clinical study, but you want somebody that is a trusted agent to tell you about that study. You want somebody that's going to protect you and guide you throughout all of that care. And at every level of the study, you want to make sure that there are people that you know and trust to guide you along. So that is being the investigator, the designer, the, the implementer, uh, the community advocate all along so that at every level you're there and have a trusted agent so that you can get the proper care. And we need to have that to know what's going to work for us. Uh, Mr. Montgomery, ask me, answer the question about the Be the March campaign. Tell us a little bit about it while I plug my computer in before it goes down. <laughs> 
yeah, um, it was just a campaign that um, I just wanted to be a part of to just raise awareness um, for Black people, African Americans to support one another, encourage one another, um, dealing with leukemia and sickle cell disease. Um, I personally swabbed my cheek um, in, a, in an attempt to try to be a bone marrow transplant um, for a guy who's become a friend of mine. Um, I unfortunately was not a match, um, but I definitely hope that I was able to raise awareness to try to get enough people to, to sign up, specifically Black people. Um, there's not enough Black donors because Black blood is good for Black blood. Um, that's just the best way I can put it without being scientific. That is what I seem to understand when it comes to uh, donating. Well, I, I think we've had a really good discussion of uh, the whole sickle cell anemia. I think we should certainly thank the uh, Black Women's Health Imperative for their focus on this disease. I think, and you have, you have to excuse me, I'm trying to stay with you. But, uh, but I think that so many of us in the African-American community really need to adopt this disease as our own. We need to become advocates. We need to become informed. We need to inform other people. So I'd like to thank each of you for joining us on today's edition of Wellness Watching. I want you to remember health is your biggest asset. Self-protected. Thanks, Dr. Lenore, and thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Black Doctors Speak is sponsored by the African American Wellness Project, blackdoctor.org, the Markel Lenore Foundation, and the Asthma Allergy Network. You can continue the conversation on our Facebook page, Twitter, or LinkedIn at aawellnessproject.org. Also, don't miss Wellness Watch every Wednesday at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook and the African American Wellness YouTube channel. Listening to us is as simple as telling Siri, Google, or Alexa to listen to the podcast, Black Doctors Speak.